Today's episode of In the Trenches is brought to you by System 12 Guitar Method. Sign up today at RyanRoxy.com. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello, 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 and welcome to another live stream episode of In the Trenches. I am your host, Ryan Roxy, and we are going to make today a great one. I know it's been a hard week for all of us all around the world. Um, Our hearts, our minds have been in other places. Unfortunately, we've probably been watching way too much uh, news this last week. So this is our break. This is our time to focus on something else, um, enjoy our life, talk about rock and roll. Um, Our guest today has such a rich, rich history with it. So as you guys pile into the live chat, hello. Thank you for coming every single week. Hit that subscribe button that Vic just put up, our producer, um, right there to uh, subscribe to the YouTube official channel. If you are listening to us on one of the audio broadcasts, thank you very much. But guess what? We want you here in living color. We want you to see our guests in living color. Plus, we want you to be part of the live chat. And of course, we are live streaming on Facebook as well. But what are you doing on Facebook? Come on. Come with us. Come over to Come over to YouTube. Ryan Roxy official, hit that subscribe button and let's be part of it each and every week. You ready to begin? All right, because uh, our guest today has, in the words of another David, this one being David Lee Roth, our guest has been to the edge and stood and looked down. He's been on both sides of the rock and roll spectrum, first as a musician in his own band called The Happenings. Then moving over to the business end of music, working with such iconic acts as Parliament, Prince, Alice Cooper, and so, so many more. Here to talk about his new tell-all book. It's not even out yet, folks. We got the scoop on it. His new book, Rock and Roll Warrior. I can't think of a better place to be than right here, right now, in the trenches. Would you please welcome David Liebert. Hello, David. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Welcome. Man, I, I was so surprised right before we went on. You said this is the one of the first times you've done a podcast and hyping a book of this nature. So I, we're so happy to be the first of anything that you've done because I'm you're one of those guys that's been there, done that. So is it really the first time? Um, <clears throat> it's my first podcast ever. Uh, certainly the first podcast to... Uh, talk about the book but yeah this is so if i'm a little nervous if uh, i hope uh, i don't uh, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, i hope i don't do any of that you can drop as many f bombs you can stutter as much as you want we will not fix it in post there will be no editing it'll all be out there for everyone to see but no there's no reason to be nervous i mean how could you be nervous you've uh, you've tour managed and worked with some of the most intimidating artists of all time including in the most debaucherous times, tour managed Alice Cooper between 1971 and 75, right? I did. Uh, um, I was on his uh, killer tour, Billion Dollar Baby tour, Nightmare tour. Uh, am I missing a tour there somewhere? I'm not sure. A lot of tours in, uh, a, lot, in a short amount of years. Yeah. Four years in, uh, in all. Uh, We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about a lot of those years. But first, we have to talk a little. We have to go a little bit back to get forward. What do you say, Vic? So, 
just to make sure, are we doing good with the Wi-Fi stream? Can you hear my voice? And how's your feed? Is everything going good with you? Yeah, everything seems fine. Uh, I can hear you fine. All right. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I got these big old headphones. The that my pod fell out of my ear. Everything seems to be going just great. You know what looks great is all those gold and platinum records right behind you. That looks amazing. My uh, my room doesn't look like that. Although I do have some really nice guitars, they, it doesn't look that good. And those are actually real gold and platinum records, aren't they? Well, let's hope I don't have to smelt them down someday, Ryan. <laughs> I'd like to keep them on the walls as long as I can. You actually were the a, mis, a myth buster because we do this thing called Factor Fiction. And right before the show, I was commenting on all those amazing gold records and platinum records. But are they really gold and are they really platinum or what are they? Um, <clears throat> I think they may be gold colored plated. I don't think they're really gold. I'll tell you, my first gold record was a single seen in September by the happenings. And uh, <clears throat> this is, you know, over decades ago, I must have been out of my mind one night and I uh, <laughs> decided uh, to, to break the uh, frame open and take the, the, the record out, put it on my turntable to see what would happen. And uh, as it turns out, it's the, it's the, it's the plate that they use to, Press um, the records, right? Yeah, it's the stamping thing. So when I put it on the turntable, did it play? Yes, but I had to manually turn the turntable in the opposite direction that it usually goes. <laughs> and then the uh, second surprise was it wasn't seen in September by the happenings at all. It was Another... so fine by the fiestas, as it turned out. Holy smokes. I guess they figured, what idiot's going to break open the frame and take the record out to play it. So Somebody wearing gold-plated diapers, I'll tell you that much. You must have been wearing gold-plated diapers that night uh, that you did it. And, I mean, there you go. So that's fiction. That is actual, are gold and platinum records real or not? Vic, that is fiction right out of the gate. All right, so we'll come back to that in a little bit. But I want to get to the fact that you're um, – you're a Jersey guy. You're born in Patterson, New Jersey, and that's where the happenings came out of. There you go. There's a cute oh, little David so Lieber. Look at all that hair. Huh. <laughs> we all had that. We all had that at one point. Huh? You had actually had a nice quaff going on. Um, I do want to ask something about um, the water in New Jersey, because what's in the water that makes people that want to grow up and be rock and rollers? I don't know. Um, anybody that could sing at all, we used to call it hanging out in the parking lot of a, our favorite restaurant, and we would chirp. We called it chirping. We would try to harmonize. to, uh, And then after a while, I started to realize, you know, these bands that are on the radio, they're not all that much better than we are. Us guys just chirping singing in the parking lot so that was the inspiration to see if we could do something about it but the but the initial goal was it to was it to track the ladies or was it just yes okay there you go so that you were bird calling a, for a different type of bird <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, once we uh, realized in the parking lot that we could attract uh 
women, we took it down to Jersey Shore, to Wildwood and Asbury Park and all of those places and uh, to parties. And uh, yeah, that was sort of the genesis of the happenings, actually. I love it. Well, the thing is, originally, you weren't even called the happenings. You were called the four graduates, correct? Fact or fiction? Yes. Fact, folks. Uh, There you go. (laughs) We were called the four graduates and... um, When we finally, uh, you know, I was hitting the streets of Tin Pan. Oh, my God. (laughs) World's dorkiest looking band. Uh, Started to hit the streets of Tin Pan Alley, uh, a section of Broadway in New York City. And uh, there are several buildings there. I guess the the Brill Building is the most famous of those, uh, where they house different publishing companies and production companies, record companies. If uh, I walked into the offices of a publishing company, I was a songwriter. If it was a production company or a record company, I was in a group. Um, And uh, we eventually uh, went into the offices of a a company owned by the Tokens, if you uh, may recall, or maybe you're not old enough to recall the tokens had a few huge hits the lion sleeps tonight and uh of course everybody knows that song right they they didn't like the name the four graduates and we had a list of uh a few other names and i think one of them was the corduroys i can't remember some of the others but we finally settled on the half I'm just happy that I'm not known as one of the corduroys for all eternity. <laughs> but the thing is, with the happenings, back in those days, and I'm not sure if it's one of those words that has come back again, maybe even my kids have said it, or or it's one of those cyclical words, but a happening, as far as I can understand it, is a party. It's sort of a, it, maybe even an acid trip or something around, it could be, but isn't it happening some sort of thing where you get together with a bunch of people and whatever happens kind of happens? Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the happening, uh, which was, uh, if you went to a happening, it was sort of a party. I guess that would be the equivalent of a rage today. A, ra- a rave? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you were the rage. So we thought we were pretty cool, you know, with the happenings. You know? <laughs> well, here we are with David Liebert, uh, techno genius, a techno pioneer, maybe, I should call you, with his new book, Rock and Roll Warrior. We're going to talk way more about rock and roll. But um, here it goes. You have a, not just a top uh, five hit. You have a number one record, and you had a couple of them. Uh, See You in September. I got rhythm. Um, I'm just curious because you did make that switch eventually to the more business side of the music business. Um, why didn't you stay on the musician's side? Because very few people that have hit songs end up going the other way. They just remain artists and musicians. What was the sort of catalyst for you to become a more business oriented music business guy? Um, well, we um, we dismissed our original manager because he, he just didn't have the... He was a, a nice enough guy, but he simply didn't have the uh, uh, the ability to take us where we were hoping we could go. 
And then the other problem, so I just kind of took over the management and I realized, um, you know, there may be a more of a um, retentive quality in the business end. I didn't think I could be a, uh, a happening for the rest of my life. So business made sense to me. I felt that, you know, I could do that for a, a much longer time than, than be in the happenings, which I figured, you know, had a short life at best. Well, you made, you made some decisions that obviously went completely your way because they opened up doors and eventually uh, opened up the door to one Alice Cooper. And um, how did that whole story begin? Because you, I have a feeling that you were already sort of, in with the Detroit crowd, the Detroit connections, maybe the band Rare Earth introduced you or something like that. But how did that whole um, tour managing gig for Alice Cooper come about in the early 70s? In a word, Johnny Podell. Ah. Johnny uh, is... Um, very famous booking very famous booking agent for years and years and years. Still is and probably the best there ever was. And we had become friends uh, in the process. And uh, yeah, I uh, I was doing the road managing for Rare Earth. And I think in the process, I met Michael Bruce one night and uh, he uh, we kind of hung out a little bit. But while I'm working for Rare Earth, I got a call from Johnny Podell. He is that, that Johnny Alice Podell Cooper. right there in that photo? It is. And there he is congratulating Dolly the dog on her winning a gold record. <laughs> I think maybe the only beagle on earth that ever was awarded a gold that record. I love that. That's me beaming on proudly. Johnny called and said, uh, Alice Cooper is looking for a road manager. And um, <clears throat> Johnny Podell was and still is one of the most charismatic people on the face of the earth. I mean, more than once I've been in a room with the likes of Robert Plant, Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, all in the same room at the same time with Johnny. And Johnny Fidel would be the absolute undisputed center of attention uh, <laughs> in the room. I mean, uh, these people sometimes call him up in the middle of the night begging Johnny to come out and play with them. And he was just more fun and more decadent, more interesting than... And then, so if you were a rock superstar and you had some free time on your hands and you were in New York City, you called Johnny Podell. That's funny. So he was the one that said to Shep, hire this guy. You need a tour manager. That, that's how I got in. I remember meeting Johnny back in the day when I was living in New York City with Electric Angels. But it was a couple a couple years later, but still that raspy like sort of no nonsense New York <laughs> attitude up in up in his office and he was like so you guys want a tour all right we'll get you out on tour we'll get you out on the road but you better be ready for it <laughs> that's Sounds kind of like him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i do great I, I moonlight as a johnny padell um you know instagrams and sort of you know cameos and stuff like that <laughs> so in 75 so we're going to come back again to all these stories that are your experience with uh, Alice Cooper, tour manager, because I'm sure there were more than a few. Um, but the, a lot of those are gems 
that are in the book uh, Rock and Roll Warrior, yep. which is coming out uh, very soon. There you go. Uh, again, Vic just put up this shot. Everyone take a screenshot of that because that's going to be the uh, new tell-all book that you'll be wanting to get, own, and talk about. Um, but in 75, you relocated from the East Coast to the West Coast. So yeah. why? And, you know, I guess my question is, was it for the weather or was it for the, for the business? I think it was, I think it was both. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, certainly the weather, I mean, you, uh, New York is a pretty rough place in the, in the winter and even in the summer, you know, it gets brutally hot there. And, uh, I had spent a lot of time up to that point in LA with, uh, with Alice and, uh, with Shep. As a matter of fact, we used to uh, rent a house in Malibu right on the ocean uh, 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 a couple of months during the winter just to escape the weather of New York. So I kind of fell in love with the place. And uh, You fell in love with it decided, so much you're still there, right? Well, technically, no. Actually, I live in, uh, in the high desert right next to Joshua Tree. You're still uh, in California, then. You're, you're, you're definitely still West Coast. Yes, I'm definitely Southern California still, and yeah, I like it here. It was a good. It was a good move for me, for a lot of reasons. Right. Well, well, obviously you were you were working after hours from that picture we can see, um, and you worked <laughs> with a lot of bands that that did like to um, partay and partake. Um, Here's my question for you. With your agency that you started, who did you work with that were even more diva-esque than the Runaways? Because the Runaways, mm. they, they, the Runaways, because all-girl band, all-girl rock band, even though they probably weren't divas, even though they were probably just hardworking musicians, you just say, I say, oh, well, they're five girls in a rock band. They're divas. But look at them. They look like wholesome rock and rollers, Cherie Curie, Joan Jett, Alita Ford. I think, um, I think you better get your glasses checked. <laughs> Did you work? I, I, I like the Runaways. I, I liked all of them. Uh, I guess I was friendly with Cherie because she and my uh, girlfriend at the time were good friends. So I spent a lot more time with her. But uh, I probably related to Joan more so because she was she's a true musician, whereas the rest of them really weren't. You know, she was a she was a true musician, a real rock star, but they were an awful lot of fun. It was really an adventure. They were 16 years old, crazy as can be. Um, and I talk about them in my book. Uh, uh, we uh, we uh, Kim Fowley, their notorious uh, manager slash producer, <clears throat> wanted them to do a tour of Japan and. Uh, so I booked it uh, as their booking agent. I booked a tour in Japan for them. And the night before they left, I get a call from uh, Mr. Udo from Udo Arts, the big promoter in Japan. And, he's the, the uh, back in those days, and probably even these days, he's the promoter. That's who you go yeah, to, he's, Mr. He's Udo. Big guy. So he calls me the night before and says to me in his best broken English, uh, Mr. David. It's very important in Japan. What's that, Mr. Udo? Very important in Japan, David. Girls on stage, wild, yes. Girls off stage, wild, no. Very important in Japan. 
<laughs> so I said, well, Mr. Udo, I will make sure they get the message as clearly as I can give it to them. Uh, but it fell on completely deaf ears because uh, they left a trail of uh, decadence and deceit, rooms, unpaid bills, and uh, uh, a lot of brokenhearted uh, Japanese teenage boys and girls. Of course, of course, runaways appeal to all. Getting back to my yeah. question, was there anyone that you were working with back in those days that was even more diva-esque or even more, um, I guess, living the rock and roll lifestyle than the runaways? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I handled a few other people. Evelyn Champagne King, but she was she was a very humble girl. Um, I shared an office with uh, Toby Mamis, of course, you know. Who's famous Toby Mamis. Yeah. Famous Toby Mamis. And at the time, he had uh, a public relations firm, and one of his clients was uh, Blondie. Of course. So uh, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein were constantly up in the office and uh, – uh, I can't say that she, they're really lovely people. I can't say that uh, they were too high maintenance. Call her a diva, but I guess she became as close to it. Certainly, the public perception of who she was more than anyone else. Well, fast forward a little bit to the late '90s. You start another agency, Available Entertainment, which I love that title. Great name for a company, by the way. Um, <laughs> How do you decide what acts to work with, whether it's management, whether it's taking on as uh, a booking? Because the resume that you have, you know, with that agency, George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Living Color, Sheila Eve, Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, just to name a few. I mean, there's like a ton of different artists. How do you go about to decide what acts you want to work with? I think it's based on one or two things. Either they're a well-established act and you can make some money managing them, or you just fall in love with a band and you just, you know, you just want to work with them because uh, you have such belief and confidence in them that, uh, you know, it's going to work out. So it's either one of those two, but sometimes both, but uh, either one of those two elements, I think is a deciding factor in uh, uh, who you want to work with as a management company. Tell me about a band that you fell in love with the first time you saw them and said, yeah, I'm going to have these guys. I'm going to work with these guys and gals. I'm going to work with this artist. Well, there's a few of them. Uh, I fell in love with the Dead Boys, Stiff Baders and Cheetah Chrome. I thought that they were just... You took, uh, his, you took his image on a little bit, too, with Cheetah Chrome. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're with me strong-arming uh, Stiv Bader's arm to get him to sign a contract wow. with Available Entertainment. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I thought they were terrific. Uh, they just had this animal magnetism. Uh, um, I felt the same way about uh, Guns N' Roses, who uh, I worked with very shortly, but in the end didn't end up managing them for a variety of reasons. They were... Uh, <clears throat> But I uh, I like them. I I think they represented to me a band <clears throat> prior to them making it. There was simply not a doubt in my mind that they were going to be a, a, 
uh, just a huge superstar band. And it was, it was, it was just too obvious not to think that. Do you remember what show you saw GNR in the early days at? Was it a particular, was it a whiskey show? Was it a Roxy show that said, wow, this is going to be it? Or did you go down to the rehearsal studio? Actually, they were living, uh, they were living in a storage space right around the corner from where I lived. And I got a call <laughs> in boxes? from Kim Valley of, uh, of course, Kim, fame. Kim Fowley he raises, he rears his head again. I, Kim Fowley, he is, uh, he's been part of my history as well with the band Candy, even before, you know, years right. before that. So Kim Fowley's always been lurking around in my musical history. But but yeah. continue with the story because this is great. Guns N' Roses living he said, in... Go, he says, go down to their... Um, storage space. To their uh, <laughs> storage space where they live, rehearse, and do everything. And check them out. And I went down there and I said, wow, this is, this is beyond belief. I knew, I knew they were going to make it, but uh, uh, things got a little bit crazy, I guess. Uh, I worked with them for a while, but they were just so out of control. It was almost frightening. Yeah. And uh, uh, so in the end I didn't end up, but uh, certainly it was easy to see, uh, what they were, I, I think the thing that stuck in my mind the most was they were never not the band. They were always the band, whether they were together or, you know, when I was in the happenings, we did our little run of dates and then we all went home to our uh, respective houses and became, you know, uh, individuals. They never did that. They were never not Guns N' Roses. And that had a very, um, uh, in, uh, um, a powerful effect on anybody that came into contact with them. Maybe it was because of their belief in themselves or it was, it was a very uh, potent elixir. Let me tell you. It's cool that you saw that. Um, I, I would imagine, especially in those early days, you trying to manage guns and roses would have been a little bit like herding cats, you know, just, <laughs> Hurting it, and I know what 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 a dog lover you are. So I mean, you would have had to have like been putting together a bunch of kittens, you know, keeping them all in line, and and obviously you could not do that at that point with that band, no doubt. Um, so check it out. Yeah. I want to talk all about Rock and Roll Warrior. We're gonna do take a really quick break right now. Everybody that's watching, um, thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. We want even more of your comments in here. If you are listening to us on the audio broadcast, uh, switch on over to Ryan Roxy Official and hit that subscribe button so you can be part of the live chat as well. We are here with David Liebert, um, famous, infamous, whatever you want to talk, uh, whatever you want to look at him, uh, tour manager, musician, all around music business business mogul but uh i get one thing that he does not have he does not have a pair of these and i'm going to show him a little bit about it right now with our click eyewear sponsor vic we'll be back in just a couple seconds first we have this hello roxy guitar army for those of you that have been faithfully following the podcast you may have noticed that recently i've been changing up my eyewear from week to week and today we are happy to announce that Click Eyewear is now an official sponsor of the In the Trenches podcast. They've even given us a special discount code that we can now pass on to our supporters. Click has provided me with both readers and blue blocker protection eyewear that are durable, stylish, and convenient. 
What sets them apart from the rest of the reader world? The catch is in the click. They are the world's first magnetic reader, which makes them hard to lose and even harder to break. If you're interested in getting a pair or two of your own, check out the discount link located in the description. Never lose your readers again, because with Click Eyewear, they're always around you. Now let's get back into the trenches and back to some more rock and roll. There you go. Welcome back to Into Trenches. You know, this is the first time I've heard that click here. I like that. Did you add that in? Is that a sound effect you added in, Vic? Huh? Well, here we are, uh, part two of In the Trenches. We are here with David Liebert um, talking about his new book. It is time for the main event. Do we have some animation for that, Vic? Can you actually get that animation up? Come on. It's it. Are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. It's all about the animation, David. You know, it's all about the pizzazz. Um, Rock and Roll Warrior, uh, out on Sunset Boulevard Books. That's so fitting for you with all the stories that we're talking about, Hollywood-based bands, Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard. Um, It's scheduled for release in March 2022. Tell us what, uh, how the whole book came about and what can readers expect from this book? Well, it was my my girlfriend, uh, Angie Gray, who convinced me that uh, writing a book about my life was, uh, you know, that I had a story to tell. I really didn't think so. You know, I was just living my life as I, as I went along. But uh, she was really the inspiration. Uh, she made me get to work and, and, and write this book. And uh, uh, I think that, um, you know, as I was writing it, I started to realize, yeah, this might turn out to be okay. I didn't want to write a, you know, a, 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 a tell-all, lasacious kind of book, you know, balls and tits flying all over the place. I, I there's enough of that. There's in a lots of balls and tits flying everywhere, I'm sure, back in those days. Yeah, but <laughs> I didn't want that to really be the gist of the book. I thought there was a lot what more a message. interesting things to talk about than that. And, uh, you know, like there's a little bit of it. And, you know, it's rock and roll, but um, it's more about my uh, my my uh, my adventures with some of the people that I worked with. Certainly, Alice Cooper is a is a big portion of the book, uh, uh, and um, you know, looking back on that, I realized, uh, uh, you know, you don't realize it when you're living it, but you know, in retrospect, that was that was one hell of an adventure, uh, you know, working with Alice. And uh, look at you in that picture right there. Keep that picture up, Vic, for a sec for one second, because for one. I love the shirt. I wish that Alice, uh, anybody that's watching this, if you want to make another sort of uh, new merch item, right there. I love that shirt. And you know what, David, you're very fit, man. Were you working out in the hotel gyms or what was happening with your health those days? You were really health conscious or is that uh, the rock and roll diet? <laughs> I um, I was, you know, I was young and... and uh, uh, you know, I guess when you're that young and you kind of take care of yourself, you you kind of remain fit. 
you stay fit. And, uh, you know, some of the duties of being a road manager are physically arduous enough to pretty much be able to keep me in shape to begin with. Well, let me ask you that. Is being a road manager back in those days, back on those tours, did it actually require heavy lifting as well? Or were you just delegating to, to the crew or what was your actual functions as far, did you have to wear a lot of different hats or were you just, you know, hanging out with the band in the back of the bus? No, no, it was, uh, it was a very intensive gig. It, uh, you know, it was pretty much, um, I was responsible for everything on the road. Uh, and in this kind of gig, there's Shep Gordon. Uh, I learned very quickly that, uh, um, I wasn't going to get any credit if everything went perfectly. That's the way it was supposed to be. And, uh, and I would be responsible for anything that went wrong. It wasn't just me. I think everybody on the road, they, um, they were supposed to do their job. And so I think my job was basically to make sure that everybody could do their jobs, that, um, if they needed anything, I was there to, uh, make sure they got it and uh, uh you know we we instituted rules and systems to make it run as smoothly as possible i remember my first day on the job i thought i made the biggest mistake of my life and oh my god what have i gotten myself you do? into oh just 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 getting in that gig you thought oh god what what kind of job am i in for yeah i mean <clears throat> You know, Shep, uh, I, I think the first gig was uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and Shep says, listen, David, just, uh, uh, you know, just observe. You'll, you'll start to get the hang of it. And, uh, uh, you know, there was no, you know, manuals um, how to do the job. And, you know, my first impression of it all was 30 or so people crawling all over all of this gear like giant insects. And I'm going, oh, God, I just left my nice cushy job with rare earth to do this. But of course, by the end of the week, I was starting to get a handle on things. And I realized as crazy as these people look, they were really uh, took a lot of pride in their jobs. And I could see that uh, they uh, had a lot of respect for Alice and the rest of the band, you know, uh, Michael Bruce, Dennis Dunaway, Glenn Buxton and Neil Smith. Um, that great and, original uh, band, man. That great original, the original band, band and uh, they really greatly uh, respected it and, and admired Alice, and so they made sure that nothing went wrong because they didn't, you know, Alice relied on a lot of props and things on stage, and they didn't want anything to go wrong uh, and make Alice look like an idiot up there. Something went wrong, so everybody worked very hard to make sure that. Uh, they did their jobs. And I guess it was my job besides making all of the pre-tour arrangements, leasing an airplane and putting the hotels and working with Johnny Podella was the agent to make sure that, uh, you know, that the traveling from, sh from uh, city to city made sense and it could be done. And, you know, uh, it was one of the planes. That's, That's the Lockheed cool. Electra, I think. And that is That cool. was definitely my favorite plane. Wow, I, I'd never seen that photo. And honestly, got a big shout out to you 
for uh, gathering a lot of these photos that you're seeing today on the podcast, getting them over to Vic and Vic making them look all nice and high def. Uh, thanks everybody <laughs> on the team. But man, I no wonder you have no hair on your head right now, David Lieber. You were doing so much work back then. And that's just the one band that you're working with, the Alice Cooper band. But it is the original guys. And I'm sure, as I know from experience, so many of the crew guys, you know, end up becoming part of the show. Did you ever yeah. become part of the Alice Cooper show on stage? No, not on stage, unless uh, unless somebody jumped on stage and it was my job to fling them off of the stage. So you were security uh, too? Holy crap. All right. <laughs> well, you know, uh, unless I went there, I am catching a few winks in between it all. It was a very high energy, very intense, fast moving, uh, you know, environment. Uh, you know, I always say if, if the speed of life in, in LA is 25 miles an hour and the speed of life in New York is a hundred miles an hour and Alice Cooper tour is a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> and, uh, from the instant I got up to the instant I went to sleep, it just never ended. It was always, but something going on. It seems like you toured in very diff many uh, modes of transportation. Um, what would be your favorite mode to tour manage the Alice Cooper van? Would it be tour bus? Would it be some sort of form of uh, sprinter vans? Or would it be some sort of form of a big jet like you saw with the Alice Cooper name on top of it? What was your favorite mode to um, tour in? Definitely. Uh uh, an airplane, and we used a few different planes. Uh, uh, each tour had a different plane, actually. Couldn't quite get... I think we used the Electra a couple of times, but uh, we also had a DC-3. That's the Starship. That's a big 707 jet, that picture there. Nice. But we also uh, toured with a DC-3 and, and uh, very nicely appointed because it, decades ago, it was the private plane of Winston Churchill. Aha. Uh -huh. So it was it was uh, you know it was it was pretty nice uh, even though it was uh, an old plane. I'm sure it, it had some sort of cigar cigar room as well in there. Well, I saw <laughs> I saw the one photo that you put up that Vic put up a little bit ago with the, that had the fireplace with that was on the plane. So there was a there was yes. a fireplace on the plane. How many times did you guys have uh, campfires parties and stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> Never. They strongly suggested that we don't use the fireplace for obvious reasons. I think it was more for ambiance than the I love the boom. Usage. Go back to that photo, Vic. I love the boom box on top of it as well. That's like, folks, that is about as run DMC as you could ever <laughs> hope for. Then with some sort of Winston Churchill uh, time clock on top of it. Just complete rock star that, right that there. That plane was the... Uh, was a was a starship that was a plane used by uh, Led Zeppelin, the Allman Brothers, and us. It was it was just just a fantastic plane. It was owned by Sylvester Ward, who was the manager of um, Bobby Sherman, I think. And me and Bobby Sherman owned the plane together. Damn! See, I didn't uh, know Bobby so, yeah, Sherman owned planes. Own airplane was definitely the way to go. I'm a big bubblegum pop guy. In fact, just this last week, I was listening to Tony DeFranco and the DeFranco family. And then from that playlist came Partridge Family, which David Cassidy is a huge. So my albums growing up were Tony DeFranco, uh, Osmond Brothers, and um, 
of, of course, David Cassidy, Partridge Family, and then, like you said, Bobby Sherman. I remember that album cover clear as day. Vic, do you have that album cover of Bobby Sherman? No? Oh, he doesn't. I thought he would. <laughs> so, where does the book start? Where does the, like, like, where do you start Rock and Roll Warrior and where does it end up? What sort of chronological? Is it from those early days of your original The Happenings, or is it a little it does, bit after? Yeah, it does start with that. But there's a uh, there's a prologue. <clears throat> there's a flashback. Uh, <clears throat> the book starts with a flashback where um, <clears throat> um, George Clinton is playing Woodstock 99. And uh, special guest star was going to be Bootsy Collins. Yeah, bassist. And uh, there's 180,000 people out there. George has worked the crowd into a frenzy. And there's only, the orange light goes on, you know, on stage. It means there's only 10 minutes left in Parliament Funkadelic set. And I'm going, Bootsy, he's, Bootsy's fumbling with his gear uh, behind a big stage prop. And I'm going, Jesus, get the fuck out there already. You're going to miss this. <laughs> opportunity you know and just when i'm about to really lose it he not he uh he he turns and winks to me i'm on the side of the stage nods to his roadie he kicks the um stage prop out of out of the way and there he is all it. six and a half foot uh, tall and, and he funk walks his way to the front of the stage i mean it's just a huge moment that's why i wanted to start the book with it yeah Oh. And uh, pretending to be completely oblivious to the enormity of the moment, leans into the mic and goes, uh, what's happening, y'all? <laughs> and the crowd just goes nuts. And I'm saying, my God, what an entrance. What was I worried about? Yeah. And that's kind of how the book uh, started. And, and uh, then it goes through the happenings and, uh, you know, all of that. And uh, pretty much... Uh, goes with the whole happenings thing um it's, it's, it's to, to, just to talk about bootsy for a second i mean i remember watching him uh on a documentary with with him playing bass for james brown and that's right. how it all started and that and and then yeah. it became you know then he became part of the whole uh parliament funkadelic and and then i also remember him as the amazing bassist and video cameo in delight Delight, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> Groove is in the heart, baby. Groove is in the heart. Groove is in the heart. <laughs> there you go. The whitest version of Groove is in the heart ever, ever <laughs> sang. Thank you very much, folks. We're here with David Lieber talking about his new book. Um, not even out yet, but you will check it out by the time you're watching this. Um, and, of course, you're going to tell a friend and tell a friend. Um, this will be Rock and Roll Warrior out on Sunset Boulevard Records. Well, it's going to be another month, but you can you can actually pre-order the book right now at uh, uh, and get a, a, a signed autographed copy. Well, there you I go. Let's, let's, has, let's put those links up right link. now, Vic. Let's put up those links of how people, if they're interested in getting their pre-signed, pre-ordered, a uh, signed autograph book of Rock and Roll Warrior. David Liebert, for those listening on the audio, why don't you tell people how to get in touch with you? Um, you can go to my uh, Facebook page, David Liebert. You can go to uh, Rock and Roll Warrior Facebook page. You can go to uh, uh, in, 
Twitter. You can go to uh, Instagram and uh, you'll see a link there. You can click the link and uh, uh, you can purchase the book early that way. Uh, and um, um, I'm actually going into LA next week uh, to uh, sign all of the uh, uh, books that have been purchased. And, uh, it's going very well, actually. I'm absolutely amazed how many people... Uh, People want those um, stories, man. They want the those book. memories. They want the, They want your history. They want to hear about it. And uh, hopefully we can be a, a helping hand in that. Because you know what? It's not just people. It's asking for it. They're asking questions to us all week. And, of course, this week we had two very special people want to ask questions. So it's time now, Vic, for Let the People Speak. Let's And when I say they are uh, very special people, they are very special people to the In the Trenches family. They have both been on the show before, but uh, these are surprise taped questions that were filmed. Thank you very much, Federica, for organizing that because they couldn't make it live right now. But um, I think first we're going to go with the our female um, question that we have. I think you'll know who she is right off the bat. After the question, of course, I will tell everybody else who it is. But, Dave, this is a question just for you. Hey, Dave. So I know how amazing you are with dogs. Um, I know firsthand because I remember your sweet beagle, Dolly, who was so beautifully trained. And um, sometimes when we'd go on the road, she would come and stay with our house sitter and um, visit with our St. Bernard. But, and I know you have some dogs now. But um, I wanted to know, are you involved with the shelter? Do you help socialize uh, the dogs? Or uh, what part are you playing in uh, with rescue dogs and so on? I'd, I'd really love to know that. And I can't wait to read your book because once the band broke up, I have no idea what you did. <laughs> anyway, uh, take care. There it is, Cindy Dunaway. Uh, oh my God! Orig One of the nicest, loveliest people that ever existed. There you go. Still See. does. So she's very interested. Early, uh, earlier in the broadcast, we showed a picture of how your dog Dolly got a gold record, and she wants to know about this. Your dog, um, your interest in dogs, how it came about, and what are you, are you doing anything with uh, rescue animals now? Yeah, in my. There's uh, Harold and Barney. Uh, those are two of my boys. I, um, I've always been crazy about dogs, you know, Dolly being, you know, the most famous of them all. And uh, I've become in my semi-retirement uh, a bit of an animal rights activist. I, I, uh, I devote a good portion of my Facebook page to posting um, dogs uh, in need of uh, fostering or adoption. And uh, I have three rescues myself. You saw two of them, Harold and, and Barney, and I have a, a little smaller dog as well. Uh, the amount of joy and pleasure they bring in to my life is immeasurable. They, uh, they really... Uh, they make it all worthwhile putting in the work to, and I work with several um, 
rescue organizations uh, and um, try to, uh, you know, build an awareness of, uh, of animals in need and uh, trying to reform some shelters that have archaic uh, forms of uh, dealing with, uh, with dogs. The result is, say what you will about uh, Facebook, Instagram, and their ilk, uh, social media has drastically reduced the euthanasia uh, rate in, in the, this country and around the world <clears throat> by making people aware. aware of the plight of these animals. So, right. yeah, well, drastically reduced it maybe as much as 90% over these last several years. Well, what we can do is we can put some of those links that you work with down in the comments section. So look for those links in the description of this video after um, Federica, Vic, our team, the whole RGA uh, in the trenches production team, we will get those links down there so that uh, we can keep on spreading the word about this because what the work that you're that'd, doing that'd be great. with animals is great. So there's another question from another rock and roll animal, maybe a public animal number nine, if you will. But uh, let's run the second question, Vic. How about it? Hi, Dave. Great to see you on Ryan's show. It's a great show. Uh, the last time we worked together was in Brazil. So I was curious, uh, even though a lot of crazy things went on while you were road manager, uh, but you always managed to uh, be on top of things. But Brazil was a different story. Everything seemed to be going totally out of control and it was pretty frightening, really. Uh, yet you seem to stay on top of it. So I just was curious to hear you talk about that a little bit. Can't wait to read your book. Adios. There's the great, there he is. There he is, the great Dennis Dunaway, original Dunaway. bass player of Alice Cooper, making a cameo here on In the Trenches. He spoke of um, Brazil. Now, what was the what was the deal with the Brazil tour or the Brazil shows? He seemed to think that things were going pretty unhinged at that point. And you were able to keep it together. What was actually going down in Brazil? Uh, it got pretty crazy. Uh, well, first of all, we get down there and uh, we figured, you know, uh, um, we uh, uh, the, we did this show in the first show was in uh i guess it was in sao paulo it was uh touted as being the largest indoor crowd in history history of rock and roll uh, i've heard about alice has talked about that before I, we've been on the back right. of the bus and he's he's talked about that show before um and uh you know brazil i noticed that there were just Dozens of people on stage, you know, something we, we simply never allow. No, no rock. And uh, what the problem is, Brazil at the time was a military dictatorship. And if you work for the government, the guys that we hired that worked for the government, uh, metaphorically speaking, the people on stage had a bigger badge than they did. So, you know, if you had a bigger badge, if you had a smaller badge, you couldn't tell the bigger badge what to do. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had dozens of people on stage. And then amazingly, the limo driver of Alice's limo steps up 
to the microphone and um, and says in Portuguese, of course, what is the matter with you people? The Alice Cooper band comes all the way down to Brazil to perform me, and this is and this is the kind of disrespect. Get the hell off the stage. <laughs> and with that, everybody left the stage, and I guess they couldn't really pick on the limo driver because it was uh um it you know they would have to explain to their higher-ups what were they doing on the stage in the anyway, first yes. place so it turns out so the, limo the limo driver, driver had the got, biggest badge of all pretty much and he got away with it because uh you know he uh you know he stood up to everybody and uh, he was our hero that night. That's for damn sure. I love it. Well, if you squint really hard, you might be able to see that limo driver in there. Someone's holding the briefcase. <laughs> and there, of course, we've got David Liebert uh, escorting the band into the limo. Um, I love that story. Obviously, you and Dennis have uh, a deep history, touring history, all those amazing, yeah. like, the, the tours that I get to hear about, you know, when we're playing the poker game um, on the bus, even to this day on tour with Alice, right. <laughs> you know, that tour game, that uh, poker game obviously has been going on for years. Were you ever involved in the nightly uh, post show uh, poker games? I um, was involved. Uh, there was usually a poker game on the airplane. Oh, one thing I want to say is, uh, Cindy uh, Dunaway uh, is responsible for some of the pictures in my book, including this picture of me uh, with all that hair. I don't know where she got that picture from, but that's one of the, <laughs> that's one of Cindy's uh, uh, pictures, and it made the front cover. I love we, it. Um, we had a, 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 a poker game on the plane every day. And um, there were only two seats reserved on the uh, airplane. One was for Alice and one was for uh, one of the road guys, uh, Larry Space Latanzio, because Space and Alice were the only two guys that were unfailingly always in the game. <laughs> and every once in a while I would get into the game, but more often than not, I lost. I don't think gambling was my strong point, <laughs> but yeah, those games on every flight. And there you go. The game. And to this day, to this day, that game still is, um, it's on every single night. We do it every single night right now. It's, uh, usually the, the, the base it's down to a four, uh, player game, uh, on our bus because we have two different tour buses, but Coop, Myself, our bassist Chuck Garrick, and uh, Alice's assistant Kyler Clark are usually the main right. four. But whenever his daughter, Alice's daughter, comes out, Calico, she's in the game. Calico. Sometimes when uh, Shep's granddaughter uh, Amber comes out, she or, and she's on the other bus. Sometimes she rides, but sometimes she rides on our bus. She's in the game, so we can get up to about six, seven people. And of course, you know. We hear these stories, and I'm glad that I'm actually being able to talk to someone that was in the original, original uh, post-show tour games, uh, poker games. I love it. So there you go. Again, I want to get that jet, man. I want to get that jet. But here we go. Um, we're going to move on a little bit to uh, how about fan of the week? What do you say there? Because for two weeks running, Mr. Vic Chalfont, for two weeks running, we have 
a uh, Sam Wall going to be our fan of the week. What do you say there, Vic? You got that? Oh, he doesn't have it. All right. It's all right. I see him freaking out backstage. I don't know, David, if you can see things backstage, but our producer sometimes gets a little bit high strung. He's waving his hands all around. But guess what? (laughs) The dog, Stanley, who you'd love, you're a dog lover, always calm, passed out in the back of the couch. But uh, Vic, you got it? No. He's still looking. Don't worry about it. We can do Fan of the Week in just a little bit. How about let's move on to uh, Never Let, uh, the one that got away. I like the one that got away. If you got the one that got away, Vic, hit it, baby. Just want to give a very heartfelt much love to Stanley Gable. Rest in peace, my friend. You are the inspiration behind this. You gave us the idea about having asking our guests, the one that got away. Um, I want to ask you, usually I have musicians on, so I t- and guitarists on in particular, so I asked them about a guitar or a piece of gear that they lost or they had to sell or got stolen. But my question to you now, being that you've been all over the gambit with being a musician and being in the music business, has there ever been an artist or a band that you've wanted to work with, but you haven't been able to? Oh God. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, over the years, um, I wanted to work with simply red, uh, this is, um, and I was hoping that Johnny would become the agent for that, but that's, that didn't work out. Cause, you were not uh, holding back the years. <laughs> right. <laughs> love that song. What a great vocalist. Yeah, so, so mean, it, was it, it was one of those situations yeah. where you fell in love with the with, with you fell in love with them when you saw them, or how did you how you returned on to uh, Simply Red? I love their music. Uh, uh, they, uh, you know, there's a bunch of English white guys with uh, this R and B personality in their music i just loved it i'm sort of a blues based guy i guess uh although i love all kinds of music i certainly liked uh, you know alice cooper i was a big fan of uh, uh led zeppelin uh, um but you got to work with alice cooper so so simply red could have been and again you know other than those white guys being funk and, and, and or uh, you know us white guys singing delight, sort of the same thing a little bit. But right. <laughs> uh, any other bands that you th- can think of off the top of your head, like wait, I, you saw them, man, I want to get these guys, I want to manage these guys, I want to book these guys, I want to be their agent, but it didn't happen. Sounds like Guns N' Roses was pretty close, but you made the right decision. Yeah, that that uh, that uh, that almost happened, but at the last minute, uh, it didn't. And I also tried to put together, this never worked out, but uh, <clears throat> to put together the old cream of, uh, you know, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Jack and uh, Eric Clapton. And uh, uh, I couldn't make that come together. I, I thought they would all be tempted because it would have been, it would have been such an unbelievable such a fantastic tour, but uh, you're talking about the, the original lineup as well, right? Jack yes. Bruce and Eric Clapton. With the original trio, would it have been? Or what yeah, would it, it have was been? the original. I'm trying to think of the. 
Usually our, our <laughs> chat group, our, our lovely live chat helps us out in these situations, and they name everybody before us because they have the power. Ginger Baker, thank you. There you go. Thank you, Fred. <laughs> um, Fred I couldn't Hoffman. make I Almost, but I couldn't quite get that to come together. I thought they would be, uh, you know, it would, it would have been such a, a successful, profitable tour. I didn't, I couldn't imagine they'd say no, but they did, all three of them. Damn. Which is funny because I, uh, years later, I kind of became friendly a little bit with Jack Bruce. May he rest in peace. And uh, Of course. I, I think there may be a picture there. Uh, with me and Jack backstage somewhere, I think at the House of Blues. <laughs> Vic's got his hands up again. He's like, why are you doing this to me? I'm still looking for the one that got away. It's in there somewhere, Vic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking for fan of the week animation. <laughs> it's all right. We'll find it eventually. And he's got it? Yes. Put it up there, baby. All right. Maybe he doesn't. I love Vic. Uh, you know what? We give Vic a hard time on in the trenches, but guess what? He's down here with us every single week, putting up these amazing graphics, putting up these. Um, and like I said, if you're listening to us on the audio broadcast, thank you so much. But get in here on the Ryan Roxy official YouTube channel so you can hear and see all the graphics that Vic puts up and all these great stories that our guest Dave Liebert is talking about, especially with his upcoming book, Rock and Roll Warrior. So, um, well... You know, Alice says this to me every once in a while. He says, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And maybe he came, maybe <laughs> you gave him that line. I'm not sure. But there's a couple things. This is, goes back to our fact and fiction uh, part of the show. And uh, here's my question. There you go. There's, a, there's the picture. Who's that of, David? He's like, do you yeah. know who that is? That's Jack Bruce. There you go. See? Thank you for Checking getting that. Checking out a selfie. <laughs> You guys are both checking out your selfie camera. I love it. Well, you know what, Vic? It was worth the wait. I love it. Ashley, we love you too. Thank you very much. And Vic is the best. You know what? And he's getting that 20 pounds. He's getting that 20 pounds. Vic, you can hold me to it. All right? And I love it. Hey, let me tell you, for this is my first podcast. He spent a lot of time with me, Vic, did, to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, that all of my stuff was working properly so it didn't crash in the middle of this uh it's been great middle of this podcast so a big thank you out to out to vic because uh there was an earlier picture i saw earlier that um you had a striking resemblance to the great michael debar singer uh a performer and, and now radio host but uh I do want to tell you that Michael DeBar did have the worst internet in the history of all our podcasts. <laughs> so you, my friend, have beat Michael DeBar's with Wi-Fi. You must have a much nicer plan. That was not the photo I was looking at, but uh, there mm. you go. That's me imitating uh, Shep Gordon so I could get a better <laughs> deal. I love it. Well, never let the truth get in the way story. Get, never let the truth get in the way of a good story is a little bit of a fact or fiction. And my first question is, is it true that you did background vocals on the Billion Dollar Babies album. Yes, I did. Fact. I love it. So tell us about how that came about. Were you just in the room and they needed a voice, or did uh, you negotiate and do and put on the mustache glasses to get a better deal and negotiate hard with Shep Gordon? No, I never got paid for that, but uh, producer Bob Ezrin, uh, 
you know, obviously knew my uh, background with the happenings and we were basically a, a harmonizing vocal group. So I was almost always in the studio <clears throat> when the band was recording. Uh, so I was on a few albums, the Nightmare album, Billion Dollar Babies, which was recorded at Morgan Studios in, uh, in London. <clears throat> and uh, so whenever background harmonies were required i was usually recruited by ezrin so bob would to, bob uh, would pepper you in on a on a bunch of different songs yes yeah i can't remember how many at, at least a half a dozen here and there yes and, and because you never got paid for bob the price was right i guess <laughs> maybe i should send him a maybe i should send him a bill invoice him right now it's a you can, bob <laughs> Post invoice. I love it. There it is. Money for nothing and the chicks are basically free. Well, tits and balls are flying all over the place in the new book, apparently. That's a quote from you. Um, here's my uh, last question of uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, I don't know so much if it's a question, but it's maybe you embellishing on a story. Um, can you tell us? a little bit about the magic briefcase um, and the rule that you set up when you were about ready to travel to can to any Canadian city from the United States um, for any sort of leg of the Canadian uh, tour going, you know, going from the U S to Canada, you have to cross borders. First of all, was there such a thing as this magic briefcase? The answer is yes, there was. That is a and fact, folks. The magic briefcase did exist. Fact! So then again, I'm going to let you embellish all you want, drop as many F-bombs as you want. What is the story of the magic briefcase? If On all of our American tours, there was always a city or two in Canada. <clears throat> so in uh, figuring out how to... Um, <clears throat> Uh, what were we going to do about transporting drugs over the border? <clears throat> the uh, the answer was, the solution was uh, um, simply not take any drugs over the border, period. Uh, why risk having a show canceled? And, you know, it just wasn't worth it. Yeah. So I came up with the magic briefcase. So the night before we we're leaving America to go to Canada. <clears throat> Everybody would bring their stash to me sealed. And they wouldn't use their real name. It would be Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck. And, and just, this is just to clarify, Alice was, was not in. part of this because I, as, as far as I know, back the, those were not in Alice drug days. He was more of just a Budweiser type of guy, right? Yes, no, Al Alice did not partake in the magic briefcase, but everybody else did. <laughs> so what I would do is everybody would bring their stash uh, with a fictitious name on it. I'd lock it in the magic briefcase. And as we left the hotel, I would call the front desk. Ooh, I left my uh, briefcase in my room. Could you please retrieve it? Yes, of course they would. And then I would tell them, uh, hold on to it, and I'll tell you what to <clears throat> do with it what to do with it was i would call the promoter and say listen i left my briefcase at the hotel would you mind picking it up and i'll tell you what to do with it they had no idea what was in the briefcase and uh so then we would go into canada without any drugs and where what do we do for drugs in canada uh i would tell the promoter you better come up with some drugs 
um, if you don't want to. One of the many hats you had to wear. Right. So, um, and most of these promoters were young, entrepreneurial guys that were not adverse to taking drugs themselves. So they knew exactly where to get it. And I would tell the promoter to send it to the next American promoter, uh, the, the briefcase where it, the briefcase would be waiting for me uh, when we landed uh, at the next American city. And then everybody would come to my room, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and I would dispense with all of their packages. Sounds more like a felony briefcase to me instead of a magic briefcase. But I got to tell you one more story. <laughs> go for um, it. The magic briefcase wasn't going to work in Brazil. There you um, go. This, uh, hold on. Just so you know, Sydney Dunaway, disclaimer, Dennis and I Dennis and I did not partake in the magic briefcase as well. So Cindy and Dennis. Absolutely. That, not- is, absolutely, that is absolutely true. They there you did go. not partake in the magic briefcase. All right. So we have I, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people retracting. I didn't say it was the Alice Cooper band. I just, I just said it was like I heard about this magic briefcase. Was it fact or fiction? Now it's fiction. Now it's all this. But what's the other story that happened with Brazil? We figured that when we got to Brazil, we would, you know, <clears throat> cocaine was plentiful down there and pretty cheap and so we really? get down there and Geography, every huh? time we front some guy the money uh, to get us some coke, <clears throat> he would vanish with the money and never, you know, we're wondering what to do. Thank God it was only a hundred bucks an ounce rather than the 2000 an ounce back in New York. But so, so finally some guy says, look, hold my brother hostage. If I'm not back in 24 hours, you can kill him. <laughs> so uh, 24 like- hours goes by 48 hours go by. You so just adopted Jeff a brother. Says to the kid, listen, kid, I'm sorry, but your brother hasn't come back. I'm afraid we're going to have to kill you. And the kid knew that we weren't going to kill him. And uh, he says, uh, I understand, but can you give me a, give my brother another 24 hours? This kid was in no hurry to leave. He was being housed in a five-star hotel, becoming friendly with the entire tour. And He probably uh, became part of the... Part of the he show. Did. He became part of the uh, of the whole entourage there. I love it. And we finally figured out how to get cocaine without being ripped off or killing anybody. But the kid remained sort of a quasi member of the entourage for the for the entire time we were in. So tour. you're telling me, me just say one, <laughs> you say figured one out how to get cocaine in South America? That, my friend, is amazing. How did you figure that out? <laughs> Go ahead. I don't know. We just we just. You. Got friendly enough with people who were able to do it for us. But uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Dennis and Cindy are right. The vast majority of the people on tour didn't partake in any of this uh, kind of stuff. So <laughs> I just want to give it its proper perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm just curious, is is this story of the magic briefcase, is this uh, included in Rock and Roll Warrior? Is this bonus material that we're hearing right now? No, it's included. It's there you included. go. Uh, so you'll probably hear it with, uh, with better, better adjectives and, and better editing. But although Vic has done an amazing job uh, of editing, what was that last comment by Cindy? Uh, Vic, what, he, what did she put up? Um, I know that Cindy just put up a quote. Wow. Was it this all your man? So that your magic briefcase had all your paperwork and money in it. <laughs> Probably that was another briefcase, briefcase, Cindy, <laughs> not the magic briefcase. There was two briefcases. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, every that's very true. You did have a, a guitar case too, and that could have held even more. I, I saw in one of the earlier pictures that you were no, uh, and it was allegedly. You're right, Fred. I love this. We <laughs> there's going to be too many disclaimers on this one, but um, you know what? Here we go. <laughs> we have musician, tour manager, um, dog activist as well. And alleged drug trafficker. But it's, it's not alleged. It's just, just alleged. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. David Liebert, um, it's getting to that point. I don't know if our producer, Vic, has found the fan of the week. But if he has, hit it right now, my friend. Or not. That's right. That's right, folks. Our fan of the week for two weeks running is Sam Wall. We're going to give Sam another week because you know what? He's that good. And uh, we have run out of graphics. And so, you know what? Because we ran out of graphics, <laughs> you get it two weeks in a row, Sam. Plus, he's got his own podcast. Go check him out, Sam Wall. And uh, if you'd like to be fan of the week, all you have to do is promote this episode and just go out there be part of the rga make sure you hit that subscribe button of course first here on the uh youtube official channel ryan roxy uh, we've been talking with mr there's that subscribe button we've been sitting here talking with david liebert um a lot of great stories um he said they weren't so it wasn't so salacious it's a little bit salacious a tiny bit salacious a but but there, but you know what <laughs> but there's also entertaining, amazing stories about not just being tour manager for the Alice Cooper Band, but so much more. Um, so many bands that we've already talked about as well. Um, there's a great picture right there that Vic just put up of Sheila E. and Prince. Um, I know that Prince, um, you have him on the uh, cover of the book uh, as one of the artists that you work with. What was your experience with him? Uh, my experience with him was that I had... I had managed uh, Sheila E for a while, and uh, um, during that period, she was on uh, um, the Purple Rain tour as a support act, uh, and uh, so I got to know Prince a little bit, as well as anybody could get to know Prince. Right. Um, and uh, I like Prince; he was an interesting guy. Uh, he could be a a little bit brusque with people, but uh, he was always very nice to me. Maybe it was because he knew of my history with, uh, uh, you know, George Clinton and Bootsy and Alice Cooper, of course. And, Such uh, respect, yeah. You know, he didn't want to come off, you know, and I was a, a bit older than everybody else. And so, uh, yeah, he treated me very nicely. I, I had no complaints. Uh, it's so funny to think Prince. that I was there in the audience at the L.A. Forum 1984 watching Sheely and Prince on the Purple Rain tour. I was able to go to that show and you were somewhere either backstage, um, you know, negotiating something on stage, kicking someone off there. or handing the magic briefcase to somebody else to hold. For <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was at the, I was at those show. I think he played three or four shows. Didn't yes, he, he did. Something like that. Yes, he did. And I was lucky enough to be able to see that tour on that year. It was, it was amazing. That's the first time. Um, I ever did see Prince, and I did see him years later. But I mean, great live every single time, and Sheila E as yeah. well. Just, just a, yes, amazing live. Um, 
our next week's guest that we have um, is Carrie Ann Grove. And you know Carrie Ann Grove. So um, hold on one second. Uh, or maybe you don't. Um, she's part of a docu-series that she just put out called Alice at 50. So maybe you'll be... Uh, in that, I'm sure your name will come up again next week, but uh, our next week's guest, Carrie Ann Grove. Uh, Vic did have a, well, he's looking for a picture, maybe. Maybe it's not. Okay. <laughs> maybe it's a surprise guest. I don't know, Vic. <laughs> Just get that picture again up of, of us, uh, Sam Wall. So, Carrie Ann Grove, do you have the picture? No, it's okay. Heading out to the highway. We'll go right to the links one more time because you know what? There she is. There, there they are. There they are. Carrie Angrove, our next week's guest. Um, and if you'd like to be a fan of the week, you will definitely have to help us promote this show. But you, you know what? This show needs no promotion right now because the stories will, will sell themselves and the book is going to sell itself. But people do have to have, find a place of where to go find that book and where to get it. So um, this is heading out to the highway uh, one more time. David, if you would please tell the people listening to us on the audio broadcast what those links are for them to find your book, Rock and Roll Warrior. What, I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, just just tell them the links again to find uh, your book, of the best place that they want to pre-order Rock and Roll uh, Warrior. You can go to my Facebook page. Uh, you can go to the Rock and Roll Warrior Facebook page. You can go to rockandrollwarrior.com. You can go to my uh my Twitter page or my Instagram page and, uh, or you go to uh, Sunset Boulevard books and uh, anybody who uh, purchases the book prior to the release date will get an autographed copy for, uh, uh, from me. So that means you're headed, like you, and you said you're heading up to LA in just a couple of days just to sign a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, yep. I will recommend a silver Sharpie. I'm not sure of uh, which, what is your signing method of choice, but uh, either a paint pen or a silver Sharpie, those are always good choices. But uh, <laughs> thanks for the advice. <laughs> I'm glad I could give you a little uh, a little advice. You've given us a lot of nuggets of um, information, a lot of nuggets of, of of cool stories, all contained in the book. Um, do you have any sort of life lessons with all the stories and words that you've given us today? Do you have any life lessons that you live by that you'd like to maybe pass on to our listeners? I think the, the biggest life lesson is... Um, the most important thing in life is happiness. And what you have to do is decide for yourself what it is that's going to make you happy and go for it. For me, it was a no brainer. It was a, a, uh, um, a career in music, either as a musician or, uh, you know, in the business end. But, uh, so if you want something badly enough, go for it and good luck to you. There you go. And happiness is key. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, David Liebert. Um, best of luck on the book. Again, thank Rock you. and Roll Warrior comes out very soon, but order it right now. Vic Chalfont, thank you for putting up with all my shenanigans, all my comments, and being a great producer of this show. Federica, thank you very much for putting up the uh, all the posts all throughout the week. And Roxy Guitar Army, RGA, welcome to our world. Thank you so much for promoting each and every week. We really, really appreciate it. There's David's uh, advice. Be happy. And, of course, every week I leave you with the same advice for me. 
I'm Ryan Roxy. Until next week, this has been In the Trenches. Enjoy the ride. Thank you, David. In the Trenches with Ryan Roxy. Hello. Moby, give him his guitars back.